It's such an uplifting feeling when you're going somewhere where you feel like you could jump in with your whole being because you know the person next to you is going to kind of do the same. Look, and we're not, I'm not, we're not naive. There's always going to be people around that are challenging and that we don't get along with and that we want to, you know, whatever. Like, we we all are going to work with it. You know, every, what, roses have thorns and they grow in the dirt. Not everything is, like, super great all the time. But I do think that if you do have a squad around you that you feel really, really good with and about and can lean on and trust, I mean, that's, man, that is just a lot. From Metro Edge, this is Edge of Greatness, a show for cutting-edge professionals and thinkers alike about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and game changers on their journey to personal and professional success. Sarah, my favorite thing about our conversation with Scott was that he's really intentional about surrounding himself with good people and how over the years it's really elevated his game. And it made me really reflect on the people that I surround myself with and reminded me to be elevating my game with the, uh, with the bigger and better people. Totally. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think the, the other thing that stood out to me so much was how much he talked about the importance of being declarative of, you know, making your intentions clear, making your expectations clear and really being declarative and, and steadfast in who you are. I did pick up on that too. And what was interesting about him is like his, his declaration and almost like his, his North star, his, his guide in his life is he's always been really focused on giving back. And that's been a theme that really reoccurs. And I also think that that theme really helped him become successful. Absolutely. It, it really is such an inspiring conversation. And with that, let's get to know the guy behind the mic. Welcome to the Edge of Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Josh Albert. And I'm your host, Sarah England. And today's guest is Scott Moak. Since 2002, Scott has been the public address announcer for the Sacramento Kings. A Sacramento entrepreneur and hustler, Scott also hosts a daytime TV show on Fox 40. He's VP of Community Investment at Sacramento Republic FC and runs his own private consulting business. Anybody that's been to a Kings game knows his voice. Welcome, announcer Scott. Hey, let's go. That's pretty good. I want the fanfare, though. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's get the fanfare. Go. It's so great having you. And um, I I put together an alternate introduction for you, Scott. Um, but we decided to start with the with the main one. But can I share it with you? Uh, I would be offended if you did not. Okay. So yes. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm a little nervous, but here Don't we go. Be- and now it is that time, your time to meet today's starting lineup for the Edge of Greatness podcast. I'm your host, Josh Albert. Next to me is your co-host, Sarah England. And today's guest from the Sacramento Kings 21-year veteran, Scott Moe. Hey, let's go. <laughs> all, you do? Do, all that's missing there, the only thing that's missing is a little pyro which we can work on, right? Let's <laughs> fireworks and maybe just a tad more yelling. But other than that, you nailed it, dude. I, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want the fans to turn the volume down, but that was really fun. I, I only practiced it like a hundred times. Okay. No, that was, that was, that's good. That's awesome. Right. Well done. Well, I'm honored. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. Honored with that introduction and happy to talk with you both. 
Yeah. And now you've got a succession plan too. You're welcome. There you go. <laughs> Good, point. Good point. Um, so kind of before we dive into all that you do and all that you are, Josh and I are curious, can you take us back to your childhood a little bit and talk to us about young Scott and what your dreams were as a kid? Young Scott. Oh, he was such a <laughs> he was such a weirdo. Uh sure. Yeah, let's rewind the clock. Uh, born and raised right here in Sacramento. Uh, so never really left the nest, as I like to say. I went to, I did a couple years of junior college. I went to John F. Kennedy High School in South Sacramento. I went to Kasumnas River College for JC. Didn't quite know what I wanted to do college-wise, and I was playing baseball at the time. I I played uh, football and baseball in high school, so I knew I wanted to keep kind of sporting, um, but didn't know where. And so I went to JC for a couple years. I uh, made a cool set of friends there, then transferred to UC Davis. I got hurt right as I got to UC Davis in the kind of summer in between. I hurt my back really bad, ended up having surgery. So I never really got to play baseball. I don't think I would have played anyway. I wasn't that good, <laughs> to be honest. I wasn't really that good. I couldn't hit. And like, let's be real. If you're not, if you're a baseball player that can't hit. It's like being a soccer player that can't kick. So like, that's, <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, so I, I became a, just a full-time student at Davis, had a great time. Uh, got to work on the radio a little bit while I was there. That was really kind of my first jump into, I don't know, the world of talking into microphones, I think. Uh, and I really enjoyed it with a buddy of mine, a fraternity brother, Eric Hasseltine, who's the, he's currently the play-by-play voice for, on the radio side for the Memphis Grizzlies and has been for a really long time. I mean, he is a master of his craft and, and uh, so got to do that for a few years with football and and basketball and some other UC Davis sports, uh, then came back home to Sacramento. Cause again, 11 miles away at Davis was a little far for me. So I had to, had to hustle right back. Um, I started, I got some internships, started working. Uh, my major was in psychology at Davis. So I knew I was going to kind of, I was, I was, I gravitated towards the helping profession. Um, and, uh, and started finding some jobs, uh, various jobs, kind of in the in in that helping kind of profession uh, at the Sacramento Children's Home as and others. But uh, young, ultimately, young Scott was he was a, you know, he was he was a rule follower for sure. Um, he had a lot of you know, I had a lot of friends, uh, very eclectic groups of friends. Having grown up in South Sacramento, I had kind of my my sports crew. I had kind of always had kind of a geeky nerdy side. Um, I had, you know, I had some friends that lived in some tough, tough living arrangements, um, that lived up the Meadowview corridor and that I can very much remember, um, hanging out at their house, which was a very different experience than I had at my privileged white home in, in, uh, in the pocket Greenhaven area. Um, and I had two great parents that, you know, who are still thriving and awesome to this day. My mom's super creative. She was like an interior designer, master of all. My dad was a longtime teacher and coach at the very high school I went to, uh, mm-hmm. which was a fun experience, um, fun and challenging at the same time in some ways. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I really had a good good run uh, as, a, as a kid. I, I loved school. I loved sports. I loved my friends. I was not one that looked back and God, I hated this. I hated that. Like I didn't have that experience and my heart goes out and still went out and goes out to those that, that didn't get to have that kind of opportunity um, to kind of, as they were shaping themselves as people, as young people. Um, it, it's probably why I was drawn to the, to the helping profession a little bit, to be honest, because I, 
I do remember realizing early on that I had it pretty good. And, and I knew a lot of people that didn't. And that, I don't know if that saying that bothered me might not be the right choice of words, but it definitely was eye-opening. Um, and I knew I wanted to kind of do something about it. I wasn't sure what, but I think that's what ultimately drew me to, to kind of, you know, working um, ultimately in the kind of what led me to the nonprofit sphere uh, and really helping people. Um, that's really at the core of who I am and what I do even still today. So it sounds, that's like, it sounds like you were just like hyper aware of your situation and like being like, so like being the son of a teacher and an, an interior decorator, like you probably weren't like upper class, but you were, but you were ahead of some people, people that were around you. So you were like, man, I got it really good. But, and at the same time you realized, man, like, you know, some people don't have it as good as me and that, and that really molded you to who you are today. I did. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a much more articulate way of saying it, of how I felt it. It was, you know, you don't, I don't know if I knew it at the time. Um, but, but I definitely recognized that it, I was, that I had it, that I had it good. I knew that and that other people didn't, I just didn't know like the helping part, like that, that it would ultimately lead me to want to, to work in that area. to. Because my first job ultimately was at the Sacramento Children's Home, and I went right back to work. I the first my my first outstation job was at Edward Kemble Elementary School, which was in it's in the heart of uh, of Meadowview. Um, I was a home visitor. I was going in and helping to support families that were involved in CPS and had other issues in their lives that you know were trying to make ends meet. And uh, and yeah, so just you know, I had a caseload of. 80 families that I would just hustle each week, each, you know, every day of the week to go and check in on them and help where we could, um, you know, affiliated with the school. So got to know their kiddo a little bit. And, and I was just a young guy doing it, not knowing what the heck I was doing really, but just knowing that was, it felt good to do that kind of work. So, uh, so then that was just, you know, four miles from where I grew up was that school. So, um, so yeah, cool. it, it was, it was interesting. Remember Sarah, we had that guest on, um, he was a professor at Sac State and talked about happiness. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that he told us was that it it doesn't make us happier to do things for ourselves, even though we think that, but it makes us happier to do things for others. And that's probably why you bring so much like, you know, like we'll talk about this, but you bring so much great energy to whatever you do, especially mm -hmm. the nonprofit work. Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, totally. Um, so so you're young, you have your first job at the Sacramento Children's Home. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about the evolution of your career and where you are today with, you know, the four hats that we mentioned, mm -hmm. so many more, you're a dad, you have so many pieces of work and personal life happening all at the same time. But can you talk us through kind of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, when I was a, so I got that job at the Sacramento Children's Home, I um, I, I fairly quickly, I think in retrospect, I, I kind of ascended into kind of a middle management, um, supervising kind of role uh, there, running various, you know, kind of programs that were all geared towards um, helping people using family resource centers and other kind of community-based uh, locations to do a lot of work out of, uh, but mainly in people's homes, at gr in groups. Uh, at at community centers and and the like, so uh, I started to kind of navigate my way up the proverbial ladder while I was there at the children's home. Given some amazing opportunities, especially since I was quite you know I was just freshly out of college at that time, 
I, I then immediately went back and, and started a master's program. Uh, and, and so got my, ended up, you know, a couple, two and a half years later, got my master's in, in marriage and family therapy, which I knew would help. Um, you know, I just feel like it, it would, it would refine, it was going to refine my skills around listening and reframing and all the things that in, it in fact did. What I didn't know is it would make me probably a much better supervisor, manager of people, just kind of the day to day than, anything else. It really, you know, I find myself using a lot of what I learned during my training, um, at really supervising people, uh, and, and being there and being real and listening and being declarative. Um, uh, so I, I don't know, it's just funny how I thought that that could be, you know, the path that I maybe was headed down was around, you know, being a full-time therapist and helping people with a, you know, with a full caseload in clinical practice. But I like being out too much. I like being out into the, into communities and into schools and at community centers and family resource center. I like being out and about too much to, to, to do 50 minute hours inside of a clinical office. So I knew that wasn't going to quite be my path. So I, after the children's home, I kind of bounced around to a couple different nonprofits. I went to uh, the Child Abuse Prevention Council um, here in Sacramento, which is still a thriving nonprofit um, under the leadership of a gal named Sheila Boxley. Um, they they continue to kill it. We took on a state while I was there, a statewide organization um, called Prevent Child Abuse California. Um, we took on the statewide chapter. I got to do a lot of statewide work. Um, and I think we were working in upwards of 45 of the 50 eight California counties. I mean, we were just all over the place doing some really, really cool things around child abuse prevention and family wellness and health and health and stability. Um, so did that for quite a while. I then kind of turned back local. The, the statewide stuff was was great, but knew I wanted to to toggle back ultimately to kind of the my backyard feeling. I got uh, I had the opportunity to to help run um uh, several departments and programs at Mutual Assistance Network, which is in Del Paso Heights. It's kind of that, it's one of the, you know, just really strong, prominent nonprofits in that small little community of Del Paso Heights. I think it's only eight or nine square miles big, but still one of the most needy communities still to this day in kind of our territory, in our great region, right? I mean, it's just, a, it, they need they need a lot of help. And and it was cool, a very eye-opening experience. I learned a ton there uh, and spent several, several years there, um, you know, do, providing oversight of different programs, launching different programs and initiatives. From there, I think I went, um, I, I had the opportunity to, to step up a little bit and out into a different area of nonprofit work, kind of the, the spectrum of nonprofit services. I'd always been kind of doing that, what we call front end prevention work, trying to make sure nothing, trying to make no, sure nothing happens, which is a very odd situation, <laughs> right? That, like, think about, I don't know how many other jobs are focused on trying to have something not happen. Like it's <laughs> a little counterintuitive, but uh, if you want, that's maybe a deep thought for another podcast. But then, <laughs> so then I jumped to the other side, which was the back end of of the spectrum, which is adoption work, really kids who are living in foster care and in, in foster homes, trying to get them placed into permanent family homes. So I went to a, a foster care and adoption agency called Lily Put Children's Services. I worked there for a number of years, launched some really cool programs, a, a kinship program and some other community-based initiatives that they were interested in and loved doing that. 
Uh, just a weird note. I was, I think uh, at the time there were 90 or 90 some odd staff that worked there. I was one of three men that worked there. Oh, really? Nice. Super <laughs> wild. Um, which wasn't unusual. I would go to these nonprofit spots for any bachelors that are looking for <laughs> right, a nonprofit. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, that, that, that part wasn't flicked on for some reason <laughs> during that time. I don't know. Uh, probably better that that's the case. But I, I do remember going to a lot of different conferences and things over the course of my career, even starting at the Children's Home, and it was predominantly women because, you know, yeah. women are just better helpers. They're no, just 100%. They Thank have they you. have a chip that's wired in them that we as men have to, like, figure out we have it. And then to flip it is like a whole sort of instructions and things that we <laughs> need. to. And so they just naturally are more encouraging and supportive and um, I had a professor at Davis, Jackie Horn, who said she listed the top six items, uh, top six attributes that you had to have to be a good therapist, counselor, helper. And one was um, having a feminine, uh, a feminine point of view of the world. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I like, I think I raised my hand. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, what? like how do I get that? And she's yeah. like, if we have to explain it to you, you're never going to get it. I was like, right. I think, I think we just say, unfortunately, we're just more selfish. The dudes. There's for sure. Some of that we're just wired that way. For um, sure. Some of there's that. There's probably a lot of sociology in there. Were you yeah. just one of those guys, Scott, one of those people who like, were you just saying yes to every kind of opportunity that came to your door? Yeah. It's, it's probably one of my, you know, if I, I don't think I have like a personal mission statement, I wasn't really one to like list out my five goals of the year and like have these, like I didn't do a lot of that, but I did really make it a point to yeah, say yes to opportunity, say yes to things, um, which I would still stand by today as the best is the it, the best thing you can do is say yes to the healthy things. Don't say yes to everything, especially if they're not productive. <laughs> but like say yes to a lot of things, things that you maybe didn't think about, things you that just popped up, things that you weren't necessarily on your quote path and. Um, I think I did a lot of that and it really gave me the ability to have a really fun and diverse now today career where I get to do a lot of different things, all that I love and get paid for most of them. Like that's the goal, right? Like do the things we love doing and get paid for it kind of mentality. I know someone famous probably said that coined that phrase, but hundred percent. Um, yeah. I mean, I really did by saying yes early on to a lot of things. Um, it really led me to that place. Yeah. I'm curious too, with, with, you know, the, all the things that you do now, do you find a common thread between them all? And if so, what might that be? Or are they all separate, totally separate entities that fill different buckets for you? Or a little bit great. of both? Yeah, that's a great question. It might be a little bit of both. I mean, I think the one thing I love the most about the, whether it's consulting Kings Republic or the show on Fox 40, you know, working around really good people. Like, is there anything better really? Like yeah. them, them working around people that you really like and admire and want to spend a whole day with every day for every, like we <laughs> spend a ton of time with our coworkers. Like, why do we want, we, I don't want to be around a bunch of ding dongs. Like, <laughs> let's be real. Like I want to be around people that I like you're legit. Like, that's who I want to be around. Like, that's the, that, that's, I feel like the draw to any of these opportunities has really been centered 
around good people and wanting to be around really good and work around really good and smart, talented, fun people. Not necessarily that see the world the same way as me. I don't, you know, yeah. I, I, I think it's been really fun to have people surrounding me that I, I'm very different from, um, but just good, good yeah. people at the end of the day. I always think person. about that, Scott. I'm like, man, you know, because the people around us elevate us. And it's so I'm like, how do I surround myself with people who are crushing it? And that's kind of actually part of this podcast, to be honest. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, but for you, it sounds like you made a career out of like finding great people to be around and they like they elevate you into a better person. I think so. I mean, and it, yeah, so they deserve, I guess, tons of tons of the credit. You know, I it just it's such an uplifting feeling when you're going somewhere where you feel like you could jump in with your whole being because you know the person next to you is going to kind of do the same look and we're not i'm not we're not naive there's always going to be people around that are challenging and that we don't get along with and that we want to you know whatever like we we all are going to work with it you know every what roses have thorns and they grow in the dirt not everything is like super great all the time but i do think that if you do have a squad around you that you feel really really good with and about and can lean on and trust i mean that's man that is just a lot that's awesome i, I love that um so um what's gonna say okay anyways i, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about like like the kings and like one of the things that i was oh i don't want to say I, I was wondering if there was one person you wanted to shout out to like who just gives you the most amount of motivation or inspiration like who really pumps you up today or, yeah. all, or, or, or all, yeah, or all time. Man, that's really hard. I would say, you know, one of my my first boss when I, I referenced the Sacramento Children's Home many times, and um, I got to work for a guy named Roland Udy, who was just he was just the master of people. Like he, if you found anyone that had a bad thing to say about him. I mean, (laughs) you couldn't find that person. He knew how to collaborate with others. He knew how to have hearty conversations, even if not everybody agreed and, and still keep it respectful and efficient. And um, like, he was just so good. And he always would say that it's always the people it's not the work. The work is secondary. It's the people. Like if you can, if you can tap in to the people around you, then the work is going to be great. And I just, I never, and he, what was great is he didn't have to say a lot of that, to be honest. It was just how he did it. Like watching him and watching how people respected him and talked to him and how he included people in ways that was just like, wow, like what a, I just remember being so enamored by that and being, you know, having that, like, I want to be like that. Yeah. Like, I want to do that. And yeah. I don't know, I, you know, I know I, I carry some of that with me, some of Rollins. Well, I get that thing. quality from you for sure. Like but, you definitely man, are trying so to good. do that. So that's cool. Um, yeah. Thanks for sharing. What, um, what's like a week in the life like today? Cause you're balancing four different things. Like what's it like? And then, oh, so I say five because you're, you're a dad too. Dad too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, typically wake up, have uh, some kind, usually Republic will kind of 
I'll have some stuff to do for for soccer, especially right now. This uh, schedule release we're a, we're kind of a March to October season, yeah. whereas ironically the Kings are October to <laughs> April, so it's like literally sports year round, which is fine by me. I'm not complaining, so it's great. Um, but you know, this time of year, especially kind of quarter one uh, of the year, we're looking at schedule for Republic. Kings are in full swing. Um, so usually taking care of some Republic stuff, getting ready for a season, uh, getting things in place for, you know, what we need to do out there uh, as fans are going to start to think about, you know, buying a ticket and coming out to a to a match. Um, I then go to Fox 40, usually kind of around the 11 o'clock time. I, I, that's when I arrive there. It gives us an hour to kind of prep and put some final touches on on the show with my uh, co-host. His name is Gary Gelfand. He's awesome. You should have him on this podcast. He's hilarious. Shout out. You talk yeah. about you talk about energy. Holy smack, <laughs> that guy! I don't know. I mean, he's a two-time cancer survivor. He's just a he's an uh-huh. he's awesome dude. I mean, just really an awesome like you know he's he's kind of prickly on the outside, but he's got really a a soft mushy core. So like he's <laughs> a, if you could get into that man, he's he's great. But he's super talented on TV. I'm not a TV guy, so I just kind of watch him do it and figure out what I do from there. Uh, so the show goes live from 12 to 1. I'm out of there usually at 1.15, right back to Republic to kind of finish up and do some other things. And then like tonight, you know, there's a Kings game tonight. I'll get to the to the arena around, um, you know, 5 o'clock or so, a couple hours before tip. Uh, take care of what I got to take care of there, which is really just eating salted chocolate chip cookies. I think. Can you do that game. job in your sleep? Like not bragging at all. In my sleep? I don't know if I could do it in my sleep, but I've got it. I've got it down, you know, dialed in. Yeah. It's like, could you mow your lawn in your sleep? Probably. Is it the best idea? Probably <laughs> not. Um, so, you know, uh, just like Chris, the great Chris Rock says, you could cook spaghetti with your feet if you wanted to. That doesn't make it a good idea. So, um, so I, but yeah, I mean, I'm pretty dialed in on that uh, along. And then uh, of course, along that day, somewhere in between that kind of wake up and get, get to the game or even sometimes during the game, I'll be sending some emails with, uh, you know, the few of our consulting clients that we are working with and start scheduling some things and pushing some of the work there. So that's kind of how it all kids usually are in the stands, you know, on section 106 behind me, making fun of their dad yelling and screaming <laughs> on the big screen. But um but yeah, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a day that isn't really a normal day. Like they're all they're all a little bit different. Yeah, I love that. Um, I am curious too, and I, I want to jump into some more like business questions. But just before we jump there, the dad piece is super important, especially for young people. My partner and I actually have six friends right now who are pregnant and do between May and July. Yeah, so it's oh. we are the age at which family planning is super important and people are also making really important steps in their career. So what advice do you have for people who really want to prioritize both? Cause you seem to do a really, really awesome job at that. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's hard. Yeah. It's harder for women. Um, because you know, like the worst thing during pregnancy that a guy is facing is what like not a lot women are like i don't i'm uncomfortable i'm getting bigger my body's not mine i i'm grow baking a human i my testosterone my levels are all over the place like i can't sleep my back hurts and the guy is like 
did we get dessert tonight? Yeah. Like what's the, like what's our biggest thing? So like that, I don't. So yeah. So like so shut up. Like just help her. <laughs> help her. So um, I, I you know I I think that and and then the baby you know baby arrives and it's so magical and mom is still just like ultra important. You know you can't not a minute can go by without some kind of need that the that mom has and dad's trying to just do things on the periphery to help so no one like dies during this time and like and you know bo boil water and go get groceries and do what you need to do but mom is so crucial and then this time goes on and you're they're bonding and the and all and the and you know and feeding all the, the important things and then it's like oh yeah and you have two weeks left before you get back to work so just kind of pretend all that stuff isn't as important as it actually is and just get back into the and and by the way, nobody at work is really going to care that that was all happening and that was important to you. Like that that's now the essence of your being is being that person to your baby. And yeah. but you have to kind of forget about it and just move on and get me of this report mm -hmm. by Friday. Like, what? Like how? Like, so I'm not, I just, I've never minced words that it's harder for women. It's harder for women. Yeah. And for men in the workplace, we need to make every accommodation possible to help. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, I've, I had a really good, you know, my, my work bestie for a long time, uh, separate from my consulting partner, Erica, who had at least one kid while we were, um, in, in kind of business working together, but Allison E. Garcia, who now left here at, at Republic to, she's one of the executive C-suite executives at safe credit union. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, she had all three of her kids while we worked together at two different jobs and, I, you know, I remember thinking like, I am going to do everything I can to help, to help you. And, yeah. and luckily she was open to that and willing to that. I know there's some vulnerability in that. There's some, there's some anxiety, you know, about being um, willing to let someone in that way. But we were, we were close at the end of the day. I don't know if everybody can have a, a work bestie, a man or woman or anyone in between, but get one. If you yeah. can find yours, lean on that person, lean on your little community and tribe around you so that you can maintain those things that are important to you. I would just say, like I talked, I think at the very beginning, I said about being declarative, like that's one of the things, you know, and in, in therapy, you, you really want people to, to, to declare some things and go after it, right? The looseness. So that, well, I don't, I don't know. Like if you can make some declarations around what you want, what you need and how it's going to go, you're going to be far more successful in, the, in those things. If your declaration is I'm leaving every day at four o'clock and I will get I will figure out a way to get work done around that in the periphery, then that's then that's it. Then you need a tribe around you that can help support that declaration. Yeah. Uh, so that's what it's it's not easy. It's as I get older, it gets a little easier, I will say. And so <laughs> that's that's the that's the nice part. But um but yeah, find your tribe, find yeah. your people. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was very honest. And I appreciate your, your acknowledgements of, of women versus men in that situation. I think that's it's super important. So, hard. It's so much harder. A, a few things really stick out to me, Scott. The number one thing that I feel like keeps reoccurring is like the amount of empathy that you have. It seems to like just pour out of you, like whatever you're doing, you're thinking about others, whether it's when you're a kid and like make, being friends with everyone, no matter where they're from or in the mm -hmm. workplace and, you know, being super hyper aware of what it's like to be a parent, mm -hmm. um, uh, depending on what gender you are. The other thing that really sticks out is how intentional you are 
So like you, like this declarative thing, like, I'm really curious, like, are, are you a big goal setter? Like, do you do that every year? Like, how does it, what do you, like, what's it about like? Yeah, I've never really done, like, I, I've never really done that five. I, I love when I see people do it, that like, okay, you know, quarter one, these are the things I want to accomplish, or these are my resolutions even. I, I will set some kind of overarching resolutions, things I want to work on and do differently maybe than how I'm doing it. But as far as just like true, like I want to, I don't know. I've never really done that. I I didn't do a, I want to start a consulting business at some point. Like I, Erica and I started discussing an opportunity. We uh, were like, Hey, what if, what, what about this opportunity where we look for a couple, call it three businesses at any one given time. And we help them using all of our, all of our being, um, what would that look like? And we kind of hashed it out. And then we were like, let's go, let's do yeah. it. And we found a couple, you know, we, we found a couple clients that were in need of some of the things we could help with and, and we're off. So like, I didn't, I guess that's like, I mean, maybe a little bit of a goal was wrapped up in there, but it was really just opportunity, um, you know, veiled it with some like declaration around, yeah, let's go do it. Let's try it. Let's, let's say yes. Let's get, you know, get back to that. Um, maybe it's more of this too, Scott is, is maybe you're just really focused on what your values are. And that's kind of like your, the way you set goals. That's what, maybe what it seems like is like, you know, what, what, what's important to you. And that's like, ends up being your ultimate guide. I think that's right. I, which, which tends to center back around, you know, good work, good people doing the right thing. Um, having fun at, at doing it, uh, you know, telling the truth, uh, all those things are, um, those are probably the, the, the value kind of core values that I, I think I just naturally, yeah, look to, look to. You know what I love is it's so basic, but how we like forget those things sometimes it's like how important it is to be around good people, to not spend time with jerks, to be honest, to always do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, Erica and I say, we will not say yes to taking on a, a client if we don't like love the leader. Like mm -hmm. if we don't vibe and really connect and and see them as a true good champion of their work we don't i just don't have time for that not that and it's and they, they might do great and they might be successful and there might be someone else out there that can help them well, it's just not art that's not our game you know so like music i think it's like there's a lot of good music out there that doesn't mean i listen to all of it like, <laughs> i listen to the things i want to jam to let's go <laughs> that's a great way to put it um, Scott, I'm curious with all of this, you know, as a person, I think it's very easy for us to look at you, to listen to you, to see everything you've accomplished. And you are a successful person, especially to a group of young professionals. I hope you feel successful, but you are a successful person to all of us. What would you say have been your keys to success? Yeah, I mean, it goes, it goes back to you know, to, to recognizing opportunities and, and, and saying, being open mm -hmm. to saying yes to them. You know, I will say too, it's funny to like speak to what I might, you know, to the younger folks, which is, you know, I, I fully acknowledge that I'm not in the younger folks category anymore. <laughs> um, you know, there is, it's a little bit, I, I've referred to it before as kind of the American Idol 
phenomenon, which is I want to just be famous tomorrow. Um, I like right. I, I want to go on TV and I want to be famous. Right. Because I'm a good singer. Yeah. And, you know, it happens at, at games. Uh, it hasn't happened probably in a in a maybe this season, but usually every season it happens where, you know, game ends, great win, you know, Kings win, fun game. Some kid named Brian comes down. He's in his something younger than me. Hey, Scott, Scott, Scott. Hey, do uh, you have a second? Sure, buddy. What's up? Hey, uh, my name's Brian. Really nice to meet you. Hey, I, um, I can I take a selfie with you real quick? Okay. Okay. So, hey, uh, so look, I don't know, like, if you, have you ever been sick? Have you ever missed a game? I'm like, funny you say that, Brian. I had COVID last year and they pulled me from a game. Uh, so I missed a couple of them before that I had the flu once, but so I've really just missed in 20 some odd years, just a couple of games. Cool, man. That's crazy because, you know, I've been coming to games for a long time and listening to you as a, when I was a kid, which is really just like four years ago. And like, I, I love, like you are the best announcer in the NBA. Really, Brian, that's cool of you to say you've been to other arenas and heard other guys. Well, no, no, no. I just know like, this is the only one, but I know you're the best. And look, <laughs> if you're ever, bro, if you're ever sick, Scott. I know I could just fill in. Like, I, I know how you do it. I hear how you say the things you say. And like, I know I could be a good announcer. So if you were ever looking for someone as a backup and one that needed a fill in, I, I'm your, just call me. Can I give you my cell phone number? I'm like, Brian, dude. So that's, that's super cool, bro. I love the, like, like the desire. If I can though, just real quick, let me rewind to 1998 <laughs> when I said yes to announcing the Sacramento girls invitational basketball tournament. And I announced approximately 26 games over a three day period of high school girls basketball from teams around the country at American river college where there was no air conditioning. <laughs> um, so like, have you ever announced anything like basketball, like, like any, any at your high school or go back to no, man, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I just, you know, I just want to do the Kings one, the Kings, the Kings. I'm like, yeah, I, I know, buddy. I know you do <laughs> in, in that my example, I, I think you're getting where I'm going. Dude, I like, love that. So you got like, it takes time. Things take time. And like, I, one thing I love this kind of your younger, the younger crew coming up is like, you ain't got time for that. Like you got to get going. I want to be, and I do love that. I love the eagerness to like make a difference and be good and be successful. But like, damn it, it takes time to like go. Mm -hmm. And, and I, so I would just say like, one of the things is be patient with like yourself. Like we all have people, oh gosh, you know, I've been grinding it for so long and I haven't got a promotion yet. And I've really wanted a title change. And it's just been, it's been forever. I've just been grinding. I'm like, really? Wow. How long? And I'm like, I mean, I've been at this job for a year and a half. I'm like, <laughs> a year and a half? What are you talking about? <laughs> like, give it a second. Like, let it breathe. I, Totally. That's a good reminder. I I think that our generation is exactly that way. I, I hear it in conversations with my friends. I've felt it before. Yes. I'm I think it is a really important reminder for us. It, it's also now. what makes you great. So you just got to be careful. 
you got to be careful. You don't want to give up too much of it because it's what makes it's why I have so much hope for things that are happening, because like you also have this like intense desire to go. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah, we just got to find a sweet spot. Yep. I love it. Yeah. And I always joke like our biggest strength is our biggest weakness. And like for me and Sarah's generation, it's like we just we just want to create so many cool things and do it so quickly. But we we forget how much hard work goes into the um, the success that people like you and, and our guests have had. Yeah. I mean, hey, Ludacris was selling CDs on a street corner in Baltimore right. for years. Kobe Kobe did three workouts a day before what, Bro, 9 a.m. or something? Exactly. So exactly. Um. Can we that dude, just- I would get, there were times I would get to the arena early just because secretly I just wanted to get there to see if he was there. And he was, he was there. I mean, there would be games. I swear to God, I would show up at Arco when we were playing the Lakers. I'd get there at three, two thirty, yeah. three o'clock. And I'll be, you get there. He's the only one on the court shooting baskets and think, think real quick about the message that sends to those other dudes on his team if kobe bryant is getting there that early to shoot around and practice and you're like you're the 12th 11th 10th guy off the bench and you're not there early shooting around what does that say like what message is that is that crazy like it always powerful and the the best always do it the best i mean kobe would take a taxi to the he wouldn't wait for the team bus that was getting there too late he would take a taxi, literally yellow checkered taxi to Arco Arena, show up, get out with his gear on and start shooting around before anybody was even there. Man, the things you've seen, Scott, that's so cool. Man, all those years where the Kings crushed, man. Hey, we're crushing again. Hey, look out. So good transition. So just real quick, Kings talk. We don't need to spend too much time, but like, what's the expectation for the Kings this year? We're lighting the beam, baby. Lighting the beam. Oh, yeah. This beam. How great is this beam? Oh, why I is love Jim, the beam. Why is Jim Beam not the sponsor of the beam? <laughs> Please oh, make that happen. You two smart people are like in business. You're connected. Make Jim Beam happen. Who's Jim the Beam is sponsorship person at the Kings. That's that's a combo for them. I need to make a call. Uh, but no, it's been it's been awesome. And look, I hate to be super tacky and go back to some of the things we talked about in relation to the Kings, but but the people. Yeah. The team, you can see Mike Brown right away. He's a people guy. He like he's a he's a connector. He's going to hold people accountable. He's a little bit declarative. This is who we're going to be. This is what we're going to do. You've got guys that have this culture, this like they are there for one another. They they fully give to their teammate. And we haven't had that in a long time to no fault of coaches past and GMs. And it just wasn't there. But now it definitely reminds me, you know, I've been around long enough to, to see Doug Christie and I have talked about this uh, several times. Bobby, Bobby too. Bobby and Doug is who I, you know, and Brad is who I, Brad Miller is who I kind of remain somewhat connected to just, you know, over text and we golf just because we're older and like we've, we've kind of been there, seen it. They, everybody recognizes that this group is, is special and reminiscent of the, of the former of those kind of teams, the golden year teams. Yeah. And I, I, you, I, I'll give a good example. You know, Bobby in the 2000, Bobby Jackson, Bobby Jackson, sorry. In the, in early two thousands, um, his mom passed away. Sarah passed away um, during the season and he left the team. He left to be with his family in North Carolina 
And um, so, so had to leave. The Kings were just about to go out on a road trip and the entire team figured out how to reroute their schedule and all the flight itineraries and everything so that they could be there and get to North Carolina between two road games. I think it was between like the, the game they played in Memphis and the game they played in New York so that they could be there for Bobby during the memorial, during the service. And Bobby will recall that the, you know, as people are starting to come in to the, to the, to the funeral, the entire team walks through the door and Bobby sees them and clearly has an emotional response to that as like a holy, like what an amazing jet beyond gesture of support that this team has for me, that this was my mom, many of whom never met her, but they are, were so close to Bobby that it was important. They did this there fast forward to however many years forward. There was a time where I'm not sure if a player on the actual Kings team passed away, his own teammates would go to the funeral. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not I mean, it's just such a, a good cultural marker of a, of a squad when something like that happens. Right. And like, and it really shows how close knit they are. And this, you know, this team after a half a season, they've got it. It's it's alive. I can I hear it. You can feel it. I love that. It's fun. Yeah. It's been so fun to watch. This I year. know. It's been fun. And every game I've gone to this year, it feels like we're back in Arco Arena in the early 2000s. For sure. Loud. Isn't it loud? It's amazing. Um, all right. That is all we've got in terms of the the heavier questions for you. So thank you. You Equal survived. Um, we do have a rapid fire round, though. All right. Our quick first thing that comes to your mind, field in your gut kind of questions. All right, I'm ready. All right, your favorite restaurant in Sacramento? Ella. Nice. Uh, your favorite book or author? Harlan Coben. Ooh, can you tell us? Ma- Master of the Twist. He's got he's got kind of a Grisham vibe to him. Okay. Uh, okay. But has a and it's funny because he's I think pers- personally politically all the things I think I'm a, I'm we're totally different. Yeah, but man, his 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 fluency with that pen woo, or keyboard. Okay. So I good. Read it. a book. Read read one of his. You'll yeah. you won't regret it. Great summer reading. OK, OK. Uh, favorite podcast besides this one? Well, you I mean, you just stole it. It's this <laughs> one. Uh, I love what our guy here at Republic, Connor Sutton's doing. It's called The Breakaway. It's one. Of, I mean, truly not being you know, I'm not a soccer guy by history i've had to learn soccer and what he does with our podcast here is just sensational awesome uh favorite daily habit if you have one um habit daily (laughs) habit (laughs) they're hard to come by well i should say exercise but i would be lying if i said i did that daily um I don't know, man. I, I think watching like as the day is done, kids are in bed, like just the like, huh, that that silent hour is fantastic. Put oh, the phone down, yeah. watch yeah. a stupid show, try to figure out why White Lotus is so popular, whatever it might be. Um, <laughs> and that's probably it. I love it. Um, the last one is, do you have a favorite quote you would like to share with everybody? You don't have to know who it's by and it can be a Scott Moak original, but something lasting to leave our listeners with. My Chris Rock one didn't do it. 
um, no, I love, I mean, I have the, I have it on my, it's, it's, um, the, uh, the one that's attributed to, is it Marianne Williams? It's the, our, our light, not the darkness is, um, is what is important. Uh, be, you know, be the whole, be, I think, um, Nelson Mandela used it in a, in a speech. Mm-hmm. I have it written on my desk and I should we'll know find it. We'll put it in the show notes. It's, yeah. uh, but that, that is the one it is, you know, who are you not to show what a amazing human being you are by not shining your light? It doesn't make others uh, feel better about themselves. So um, that's the one that just always just rings so true to me um, about being, you know, being light in, in a dark room, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love that. Thank you. Scott, Thanks this was so fun. Um, and uh, we just really appreciate it. You being here and guys, you bring so much energy. So, so thanks for bringing that energy. We appreciate it. My honor, it. man. My honor. Appreciate Appreciate you guys taking the time. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Scott. See All you right. at the game tonight. Let's go. Go Kings. This has been the edge of greatness. A huge thank you to Metro edge. A huge thank you to the UC Davis Graduate School of Management. A huge thank you to Rayleigh's. And a huge thank you to Bob Stobner, our technical producer. We'll see you next time.